What you believe about God and what you believe about yourself will determine how you view the world. And for the past three weeks, we've been exploring the reality of our identity when we have Jesus. We've been informed by the scriptures on who God is, and we've been informed on who we are as God views us. But God is also through his spirit forming in us a picture of who his son is, Jesus Christ, whom we draw our identity. Paul sees this as all as you were once in sin, but now you are in Christ. So we want to explore and continue this exploration this week on who you are in Christ. And so far, we've been informed that we are loved. I am loved. And I'm loved by a God who knows everything about me and chooses to love me anyway. I'm fully known. I'm completely loved. And uh, this reality is not simply wishful thinking. This is reality. And when we believe this, we accept his love into our lives and then we reflect his love to others like Jesus did. Remember how it said in Ephesians 5 where it says, Love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. To love is to give yourself up for someone else. We've also been informed that I'm forgiven. And that which offended God, my sin, which is not just sins, but a condition of sin, a condition that bore its weeds in my attitudes and actions and interests and stood against God and his word, have been taken by Jesus and they've been they've been separated from me, as Brian illustrated from Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so has God removed our iniquity or our transgressions or our sin from us. And on the cross, it was settled. It was settled. God placed my sin on Jesus and Jesus threw them into perpetual motion away from me. I'm loved. I'm forgiven. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about the reality that I'm accepted. I am accepted. What do you think of when you think of being accepted? Some may view it as a status, some of may view it as an accomplishment, some may see it as a relationship of acceptance. But, you know, when you're accepted, it's usually preceded by congratulations. You ever get that acceptance letter? If you've ever applied for a college or applied for a job, congratulations, you move to the next step. Congratulations, you may be the winner of $10 million. Congratulations always precedes acceptance, doesn't it? And when you're rejected, what do you hear? We're sorry to inform you, but... Yeah, sorry is always around rejection. Perhaps no other feeling predominates our thinking and our emotions than that feeling of acceptance. Kids, you're starting school this week. And uh, I still, my heart rate still goes up when I walk into a high school cafeteria. I don't know what it is. I just don't want to trip and fall and my tray go all over the place. I don't want someone to think I'm a freak. I don't want to mess up. And so there's it's pressure. I want to be accepted. I want to sit with the right people. And it doesn't change. It doesn't change. Uh, the older you grow, the still you want to be accepted. We all want to be accepted because we want to belong someplace. We want to matter someplace. We want to matter to the people around us. We don't want to be rejected. So 
The question that we need to start with is our view of God. How are we accepted by God? Other question that would say the same thing is, how do I get into heaven? <laughs> if it's all about me, I just stay away from hell, get into heaven. How, how am I accepted? How am I approved by God? Well, there's three major views that dominate the religious culture of today. The first one is this, you have to earn it. And this is actually believed by most of the religions of the world. That's salvation by works. You have to measure up because God's up in heaven and your view of God is that he's up in heaven and he's keeping a list. He's kind of like Santa. Who's been naughty? Who's been nice? And if your nice actions, if your actions that are good outweigh your bad actions, well, then you've made it. You've made it. And uh, it's easy then just to compare yourself with others. You know, I'm not doing bad as they are. Whew. Boy, I'm glad I'm not as bad as they are. And I didn't, you know, I'm not a mass murderer. So God kind of owes it to me to be nice to me. It's salvation by works. Again, most of the religious structures of the world are, are under this. Don't get God upset. Don't mess up. God is good. You're bad. Be good. And as long as you're good enough or good than someone else around you that you compare yourself to, then God owes it to you. You can earn his approval and his acceptance. The second one is you have to belong to the right group. This is salvation by affiliation. And this really says, hey, you've got to be in this. This is a church. If you're in this church, then you're in. If you're not in this church, you're out. If you're this group of people, then you've got to be this type of people within that subgroup of people to really be in the right group. And salvation by affiliation is another thing. You know, it's just, it's a connection of being with the right group that gets you in. And then there's one that I believe the Bible informs us most about. And that is that you have to trust in his work for you. You can't do it on your own. You can't earn it. And it's not about you being in the right group. It's in you trusting in the work that's already been done for you. That's the gospel. That's why the gospel is good news, because the gospel says you don't have to earn it. And it's not a part of you being a Jew or a Gentile. It's all through Jesus. You have to trust in his work for you. See, how you view the world in the area of acceptance is determined by how you view which one you live by. See, if you view that God accepts you for your works then you will accept everyone around you for how beautiful they are, what they do for you, or what they don't do for against you, and you will accept people on works. If you view God owes it to you to save you because you're part of a group of people, then you will tend to live your life in a group of people judging others who are not in that group that you're not that bad and that you're in with God. But if you live by grace... Trusting in the God who gives you grace. Then you tend to accept others who are different than you. You have the capacity then to love people who don't look like you, who don't talk like you, don't even believe like you because of how you're accepted. This changes everything about you. And I would just say this, that you could trace historically some of the worst tragedies in the history of this world have been related to the top two views of acceptance. Adolf Hitler, second view. You need to be part of the Aryan race. If you're not, you're inferior. What do we do with inferior people? We eradicate them. 
We live in a very performance-based culture. That's shame and guilt-based. And that's based on the first one. You have to earn everything you get because God helps those who help themselves. And so if you don't measure up, if you're not in that 1% of beauty, you're rejected. If you're not in that 1% of performance, you're rejected. You're not good enough. And you're constantly saying, am I good enough? And if you believe that you have a relationship with God like that, you tend to treat everyone else like that. That's why we need a different plan. We need plan three to win in our lives. Because if you were to structure a society that was better than the one that we have here, which one, which view would you want to base it on? I'm going to try to prove that we all want it to be number three. We want it to be a grace-based culture. If we wanted to build a church on one of these views, folks, we need to build it on three. Because I've been in churches of the first two, and they're extremely frustrating, and I've got better things to do with my time. I need a church that reflects the way that we're accepted by God. And so let's take a look at God's plan of acceptance. And it's kind of encapsulated by the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 through 14. If you have your Bibles, open them up to that. Please, I hope you have your Bible. If you don't, there's one in the back. You can pick one up on one of those uh, tables back there. We want you to have a Bible. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul kind of summarizes how we're accepted. And let's look at verse 10. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Let's pause here. Because outside of a Jewish context, we kind of don't understand what he's saying. But he really introduces us to three people. He introduces us to Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. And he says, in Abraham, the righteous live by faith. Because every promise that God gave to Abraham was, Abraham, I will bless you, Genesis 12. I will make you into a great nation, Genesis 15. All the people on the world will be blessed by you, and I will make your name great. You see the common thread here? It's God will, God will, God will. It's all based on Abraham trusting what God would do for him. So walk in faith, Abraham. But then we're introduced to Moses. And this became the huge, the huge foundation of the Jewish faith. The obedience to the law. And what does the law show us? The law shows us the perfection of God. The holiness of God. But it also shows us, same times it shows us the light and the purity and the holiness of God. It shows us the darkness and the impurity and the unholiness and the unrighteousness of who we are. And so it shows us as we go to Moses, Moses says, you're not perfect. God is. And you can't do anything about your sin except cover it with a blood sacrifice until the true sacrifice happens. 
And then Paul takes us to Jesus. You see, Abraham, God said, I will. Moses said, you shall. And you shall. And you shall. And Israel realized, we can't. We can't. We can't be perfect. And Jesus said, I am perfect. And I'm the only one who can forgive you. And so this whole picture, if we can just summarize it, it's that Jesus was rejected so that we would be accepted by God. It's based on the rejection of Jesus that we have the acceptance of God. This world rejected him. On the cross, the, the sin of the world was placed on Jesus. And when he died, after being the curse, he was accepted by God. His death was accepted by God. God is satisfied by his work. You don't have to work anymore. And this is who you are. There's three results of our acceptance by God from Jesus. There's three realities. The first reality is this. You have favor with God. Literally have favor with God. He's no longer against you. He is for you. He is your friend. And he chooses to be with us. The same way that uh, he said to Abraham, I will be your God and you will be my people. He said that over and over to his people. Favor. God wants to be with us. We also have fellowship with God. Not just favor, but fellowship. And koinonia is this word. This is a close family relationship. It's not a God in the distant. It's God at home with us. And with Christ, we can all come home. We're all accepted into a family. And I love how Paul kind of talks about it in Galatians. He stretches it all the way back to the first family that he chose that he would bless. Abraham. And then the promise went to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph and then to Israel. And now through Christ to us. And then we also have the filling of God. Hear that last phrase of that passage in verse 14. So it says that so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We have the very presence of God in us. The Holy Spirit. This promise overflowing and filling us into our lives and outside into this world. This is who we are with Jesus. We're accepted by God. So, this is who you are. Stop trying to impress God with your works. Stop trying to impress God that he owes it to you because you've been nice or because you didn't curse when that person cut in front of you or because you pay your taxes on time. Stop trying to impress God and thinking that his acceptance is just a little bit, one more performance away from you and start realizing the acceptance of God. We, we need that character on the movie, The Help. Abilene to come into our lives here and tell us you is loved, you is forgiven, you is accepted. We need that reminder because I find far too many, far too many Christians living out in their lives as if they still have to do one more thing. That God's more impressed with their works than he was with the work of Jesus. Folks, Stop trying to gain the acceptance of a certain group 
that opens your life to a whole bunch of other alternatives than the acceptance of Christ. And open your life to the family of God. That's why you need to realize every time you're tempted in this world to find your acceptance apart from Christ, in a relationship with someone else apart from God, in a marriage apart from God, in a job, in a neighborhood, in a class, in a school. Folks, you are all right because you're accepted by God. So that in a world that wants to divide you into a group according to your race or your income or your education or your clothing or your political party, that, that they will use to beat down another group, you don't have to join that group because you're all right. You're accepted by God. In a world where popular people are going to pressure you to submit and conform to their attitudes and actions that step up in life by stepping on others, you don't have to play that game. It's all right. You're all right because you're accepted by God. When angry people come and try to steal your joy so that you join their cynicism or criticism, tearing others down rather than building others up, you don't have to play those reindeer games. You're all right, because you're accepted by God. And when this world rejects you, you're all right, because you're accepted by God. Folks, we've got to live with this reality. And since this is who we are, this is how we can live. Look at Romans fifteen seven. This is where we're going to close on. Romans 15, 7, it gives this whole picture is that if this is how you're accepted, then how should you accept others? This is where we get to live our identity. And I will tell you this, the more I live my identity, the more I realize the identity that God has given me. The more I love and the more I realize I'm so thankful for God's love in my life, the more I forgive, the more grateful I am for God's forgiveness, and the more I accept people in my life, the more I'm thankful for God's acceptance of me. Romans fifteen seven says this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's, let's start with that last, last phrase because... Here's this three ways, three steps to accept others. The first one is become aware of the reality that's happening around you. Look what it says, for the glory of God. It's God's glory that we're to live for. It's not my glory. It's not my image. It's the image of Jesus that needs to be reflected through my life. And so when I accept someone, I show people more of God's glory and less of my glory. If I reject them, I put them into groups of those I accept and those I reject I show them my image. I show them the patterns of sin that have been repeating itself over and over from one generation to the next that won't end in me until Jesus enters my life. And he teaches me how to accept people who don't look like me, who don't act like me. I always get pushback on this. Joe, you don't understand what the world believes. I do understand what the world believes. And you want us to accept those sinners? Yes. Because... Because you were against God one time. I mean, if anyone could say, reject sinners and reject people who don't believe in Jesus, Apostle Paul could have. He used to kill Christians in the first century. 
And yet the grace of God came into his life. So he said, the way that Jesus accepted me, I was against him. I was his enemy. How do you win an enemy? You love him. You treat him with respect. You don't reduce him down to an issue. You love the person. See, when we see people as problems, we can't accept them. That's why we've got to love people the way Jesus sees them. Now, it doesn't mean you have to agree with everything happening in their life right now. Every lifestyle is, is not the same. But we still need to love them. We still need to treat them with respect. We still need to be kind We need to be aware of that reality that God is building his glory. So Paul is saying, for the glory of God, accept people as you've been accepted. Secondly, we need to realize that it's about forming an attitude of acceptance in me. How do you view people? Here it says, welcome as Jesus welcomed you, as Christ welcomed you. How did Jesus welcome? What was his attitude? Well, we get a little picture of his heart in Luke chapter 15. And I'm just going to give you a quick summary of it before, instead of turning there. But in Luke chapter, chapter 15, Jesus talks about things that are lost that become found. And Brian spoke about it last week. If you haven't listened to that message, you can go online and hear it. But it, he talked about a lost sheep that the shepherd would leave the 99 to search after that one. And when he found it... What did he do? He didn't go, oh, stupid sheep, get in with the flock. No, he grabbed the sheep and he said, look at the sheep. It was once lost, but now it's found. Friends, friends, lost sheep, found. We got him. He's back in the fold. And then it talks about a lost coin. What happens when you lose a coin? You go, big deal. What happens when you lose your iPhone? You go, oh, no. Oh, no, especially if the two-year contract hasn't expired. You freak. Because you think $650, you're going to have to put it, someone trace it, and it's offline. You can't even trace it. And your heart rate goes up. And at 2 in the morning, you wake up, where's my iPhone? I don't have my iPhone. You end up going like this without an iPhone because you're just so used to constantly looking at it. But when you find it, you go, ha, ha. My iPhone that was once lost is now found. Everyone text me again. Because I love this feeling when you lose something and you find it. You welcome it back into your life. And then the lost son who wanted his father dead. And he spent all his inheritance on loose living. And then he comes and the father sees him from afar and runs to him. And accepts him. He embraces him. He kisses him. He, he gives him clothing. A, a favored clothing. And, and then kills the fattened calf. Just reserved for celebration. And says, look, my son who's once lost is now found. That's how you were welcomed into the kingdom of God. That is how you are to welcome people. Who aren't like you. Who are lost. That's the attitude. We've got to have with people. And I realize attitudes are promoted. They're promoted in families. They're promoted in friendships. They're promoted in any group we admire. 
And there have been attitudes that must end if Jesus is going to reign in our lives. There are attitudes in your life, how you view other races, how you view other political parties, how you view people who have more or less than you, how you treat people who have been unfaithful to you or unkind to you. You've got that altar. There are things you teach in your family and there are things people catch in your family. And there were things in my family. And we've got to end our attitudes of rejecting people in order that the acceptance of Jesus can come back into our lives. And that's why I just call you to that church lead. We have to lead in how we accept people. We've got to be willing to confess people groups that we have said are inferior to us, that aren't worth our time, that we stay out of their neighborhoods because we don't want to be like them and we don't want our kids around them. We need to break out of the holy huddle and into the reality of this world so that the glory of God can be revealed and we can welcome people as we've been welcomed by Jesus. That's an attitude that must change in all of us. And then it's an expression that comes from me. And I would say an intentional expression. We've got to be intentional with our expressions towards others. That means there's things we say with words and then there's things we say without words. Before I even say a word, I give an expression of my, um, of my whether or not I'm accepting. How you hold your body, your eyes, before you even say a word, what does this mean? Is that a posture of acceptance? It's not. Yet many of us don't look in the mirror long enough on how we hold ourselves publicly. And we walk out like this. Uh, and it's not that we don't mean to. Sometimes we do. It's not like we don't mean to. We just aren't aware of it. And that's why I'm asking you to be intentional with how you hold your body. One of um, the most mature men I've ever met, met in, in one of the greatest spiritual leaders I've ever met in this world, was a guy named Chuck Preston. And he was an elder with me here. And he passed several years ago. But Chuck came up to me after I preached a message on hospitality. And he said, you know what? It's weird. I didn't realize this. But I don't really show people that I'm friendly. I just kind of have this view. And I'm just walking. I'm just out. I've got to relax and open up. That guy was 78 years old when he was telling me this. And I said, I want to be like you when I'm 78 years old. Still teachable. And how God can accept others through his life. You don't realize it. So go in a room where you can shut the door and so no one thinks you're a creep. And look in the mirror with how you hold yourself publicly. How you hold your shoulders. Hurry will kill acceptance as it kills relationships. Because when I'm hurried, I don't know, I get really freakish. And I start walking like this because I'm all tensed up. And that doesn't show it. That basically says, get out of my way. It basically says, I have no time for you. And Jesus didn't walk in this world like this. He was open to people in his life. How can I help you? What do you want me to do for you? Those were words Jesus gave. In some of the most obvious environments. 
that showed people he accepted them. It's an expression that's from you. And then it's the words you say. You know, some of us are conditioned to walk in a room and see all the things that are wrong and everything that people are doing wrong. If you're a teacher, sometimes this hits you when you walk in your room and there's chaos and you go, there's not order. There needs to be order here. Oh, you kids better not get off and sit down and listen. It's easy to do that. And in the process, show kids you don't accept them. As a parent, sometimes I walk in and when that kitchen is all, you know, in disarray, when we cleaned it the night before and everything, it's just so easy to go, what? What have you kids been doing this whole day? Is that acceptance or is that rejection? Yeah, it's not acceptance. Your first words to your wife, to your husband in the day or after your day of work. Now, if I could coach you on anything, your first 15 seconds with your spouse at the end of the day matter. Your words. Hey, is that acceptance? Hey, it's good to see you. That's acceptance. How you doing? Fine. Is that acceptance? Or is that rejection? See, we'll hit withhold love if we're basing our lives on performance. Folks, the words you say matter. So my son, James, went on a senior trip with some of his buddies, with three of his other buddies this week. And uh, my son is, is re- he loves adventure and he loves spontaneity, which always make it for fun to be around him. But he doesn't like details. And I'm his dad. And I like details, especially if it's a trip to Colorado with his friends uh, where they all drive and they're going backpacking for four days. And so I'd like to know, do you guys have enough food? And he told me, yeah, I've got 36 packs of dried oatmeal. We'll have that for breakfast. His friend had a big chunk of salami. That was going to be lunch. And his other friend had MREs, which they would have for dinner. They were going to go hiking for four days down 28 miles over four major peaks in Colorado. And he didn't tell me where he was going. So I'm finding out different ways where he's going. And, and I said, make sure you communicate. So he goes, oh, definitely, Dad. I'll communicate. I have an iPhone. So he goes, he goes to Colorado and they go out to Aspen. And then they go to this place called Maroon Bells. And I didn't know about this place. But it's 28 miles covering four major peaks. And they had to cover at least seven miles a day to, to finish in time. And uh, I start learning a little bit more about this. And he calls me on Tuesday right before they go on the trailhead. Everything's great, Dad. I'll keep communicating. And then Wednesday comes. We hear nothing. And Thursday comes. And we hear nothing. Thursday night, I wake up. And I search. Maroon Bells. And I hear and read different blogs. Yeah, we ran into several bear along the way. And everything's going good. And then images of my son getting his hand caught in a rock and sawing off his rock and coming home without a hand come into mind. My whole, whole picture comes into worry and fear. And so I was trusting God. And then Friday came along and he still hadn't. And I start texting other parents. I start texting a girlfriend of one of the guys. And, hey, have you heard anything about the guys? Because I thought at least they would hear. The girls always hear before the parents. So, so they don't. And I keep wondering what's going to happen. So my messages start getting a little bit more firmer. Hey, haven't heard from you. Call me back. Click, you know. And then where are you? We talked about communication. 
So last night, before I preached the 5 o'clock service, at 4.55, I just, out of the blue, I call his number. Hello? Where have you been? You know, that's where I was emotionally. What in the world? We've been looking for a brain for I almost called the park ranger. To, where are you? Are you okay? You know, dad, I'm just fine. Don't you want to know about the trip? I want to know why you didn't call me. <laughs> that weren't, they weren't words of acceptance. <laughs> they weren't words of my son who was once lost, now found. <laughs> So words matter. And after the seven o'clock or the six thirty service, I called him and we heard about the trip and I told him I loved him. And, and then those were the words of acceptance. Folks, I would have liked to have led with those words. We could always correct later. But let's lead with those words. And here's here's what happens. The glory of God moves from your life to someone else. You want more of yourself? Keep rejecting. You want more of God? Start accepting. And, and watch how God, God shows you how much he loves people. When you live loved, when you live forgiveness, and when you live accepted by him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would move in us. As we sing this song of, of being around your presence of majesty, Would you move in us now that we know that we're accepted by you? Lord, teach us how to accept others. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.